I really enjoyed this conversation. And I would say, listen to it once and then go back and replay the whole thing and listen to it again. There are so many nuggets of wisdom and things that you really should consider uh, for your leadership practice that are guaranteed. They're just going to make you better if you take action, right? I love to say ideas are great, but not the greatest. Well, what's better than an idea? Doing something with it, taking action, right? So today uh, I talk with a really awesome leader, John Campo Piano, and he's an executive director uh, in San Ramon Valley Unified School District. We'll hear more of his story, but some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, like big concepts, big ideas, right? Authentic leadership, how to lead in a way that you're aligned to your values and operating as the best version of yourself. And he's going to talk about like the importance of, uh, you know, just knowing what you stand for, right? So make sure you listen again and dig in and, and do the work. If you don't have those values already established, make sure you do that. Another big concept that we really hit home quite a bit is the importance of taking care of yourself. John calls it, you know, the oxygen mask. And I like to think about it as rest and recovery, right? So here's the thing. For you to operate at your best, you need to take care of yourself. Maybe you need to hear this from me. You have permission to recover, permission to rest. You can't always be on grinding, hustling. I'm not about that life. I am about results. So don't get me wrong. We all work hard, but if you want to work at your best, you actually have to prioritize recovery. We're going to talk about what it means to be a people leader. Uh, and we're going to talk about what some campuses are doing that are very student-centered and student-empowered and lead to some pretty cool things on, on campus. And I, I think you'd like to do those things as well. Hey, I'm Danny Chief Ruckus Maker at Better Leaders, Better Schools, and a Principal Development and Retention Expert. And this show is for you, a ruckus maker, which means you invest in your growth consistently. You challenge the status quo, and you design the future of school now. We'll be right back after a few messages from our show sponsors. I'm sure you've heard that energy flows to where attention goes, right? If you want to get more of what you want when you want it as a school leader, I've got a tool for you. The secret is to celebrate the positive things happening on campus and to go multiple levels deeper to tap into why it even matters. When you do that, anything is possible on your campus. And I mean anything. And you start to get more of what you want when you want it. If you'd like to spread more positivity and create more value for all stakeholders on your campus, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash positive and download your free tool today. How would you like to increase student talk by an average of 40%? More student ownership, more student discourse. Check it out for yourself by trying out TeachFX. Go to teachfx.com forward slash betterleaders to pilot their program today. If executive functioning skills are integral to student success, then why aren't they taught explicitly and consistently in classrooms? I have no idea. I have no idea why that doesn't happen. But what I do know is that our friends over at Organized Binder have created a new course that will teach your teachers how to set up students for success via executive functioning skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go. 
Well, hey, Ruckus Maker, we are here today with John Campopiano, who is in his fifth year as the Executive Director of Secondary Education for the San Ramon Valley Unified School District. In his duties as Executive Director, John supervises all the middle and high schools, leads the district local control accountability plan, and strives to institutionalize equity for all students, staff, and community members. Prior to his district leadership, John was the principal of Stone Valley Middle School. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So a a little bird, and this little bird's name is Demetrius, by the way. (laughs) He told me that your brother was also or is a principal, and you were a principal. So I just want to have some fun here at the end, you know, or excuse me, at the beginning. And I I hope you uh, enjoy this question. But uh, who's your family's favorite principal? I have to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's my youngest brother and I'm the oldest of three and he's he's the baby. And so it's going to be Ben. He's the principal of Miramonte High School. And he always was uh, given more freedom than me as the oldest. Uh, and we come from a family of educators. My mom was a longtime kindergarten teacher. My uncle was a junior college professor. My aunt was a teacher. I knew from age 15, I was going to be in education, which uh, blew me away. And, and my brother, uh, Ben, he's a ruckus maker and we got to get him nice. connected. He, he's okay. moving and shaking that school. Tell me that story. So at 15, you knew you wanted to be an educator. Why? I don't hear that as much anymore. I remember I was sitting in uh, Miss Sparks class. And it was a Spanish class. And I remember how she was making people feel and it wasn't the right kind of feel. Oh, she was creating fear and, and, and confusion. Then the next period I walked to Miss Johnson's class and it was safe and people were moving and alive and thriving. And I was instantly like, I want to do this. Two weeks later, my baseball coach quit in the middle of the game, walked out. Took the coach. There's no coach. Gone. And it's me, 15 years old. And I said, let's go. Yeah. And I got to help move people and share and get that. And he didn't come back the next game. And somehow these parents let me coach the team. Seriously. And then I started volunteering and doing uh, career and teaching classes in high school. And you know what? Some of my family in education were a little like, hey, you should explore other things. My mom and dad, right from the beginning, was like, you have a passion for this. And I knew it. And mm. I love it to this day. Yeah. And you jumped right in too. I mean, there was a huge void of leadership there. The coach leaving, disappearing, and here you are, and all coach, and the parents are letting you. I know. Can you tell me anything? Like, what what's it about you that right uh, allowed you to do that? Well, it's funny because I was a very shy student and shy person. Yeah. I when I feel that I am putting someone in a position to be successful, I have my voice Mm. and I have my confidence. I feel like that I uh, know people and I've always known and understood what makes people tick. And uh, I don't like saying that to sound egotistical or different things, but I, I really love and care for people and try to find yeah. the good in them. And sometimes that'll come out in our leadership later on. And basically what was me is I saw an opening where leadership wasn't occurring, one in that Spanish class and then in the other. And I just tried to do what Miss Johnson did was make a person feel good, make the student feel good, make the player go, you got this, you do this. And then the coach came back. I won't say his last name, Mike C. And it was a very different deal because he was able to see, like we as players, as students, we do know what a positive culture is. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think we're similar in, in that way too, because I, I believe, right, when 
you get better, everybody wins. And so if you create these environments where people are feeling good about themselves, you know, you're increasing their confidence, they're seen and heard, mm. they feel like what they're doing matters. Every, all those other things that you really care about achieving, they seem to just happen as a result, like a natural consequence. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into those concepts with you today. One more thing, and I just want to uh, honor you at this at this time too, because Demetrius also said he experiences you as somebody grounded and down to earth. And wh- what a wonderful way, right, to be described. And my follow-up question there from that uh, description is just, what helps you show up that way? I appreciate Demetrius, and he is a change maker, as you all know, and hopefully he's inspired me for a long time from the work he does, the leadership. I think we're all doing our best. So Daniel, for me, when, when I when I meet with someone, I try to put myself in their shoes. I believe in servant leadership. I believe that I am no different, no better. I believe in flat leadership. And I learn from Demetrius and other principals I work with more than they learn from me. And I go into that with my that mindset. I'm actually, every time I'm with Demetrius and we'll use his name earlier, I learn, I get better. And if I go into it with that approach, I really just want to help them and support them. And and appreciate him saying that because what I'm seeing a lot in education, Daniel, and you're seeing this with your listeners and et cetera, is there's a lot of excitement, oftentimes not in a positive manner, whether it's a board meeting, whether it's other things. And I believe we have to stay calm, cool, and collected in order to make wise decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, your, your passion for baseball didn't stop there, right? And you were telling me in the, in the pre-talk uh, that you coached baseball as well uh, later on. And, and I'm just curious, what, what are the correlations you see between coaching baseball and coaching school leaders? It's unbelievable. I was talking to one of my uh, varsity players last night on the phone. He called me. He's 38 years old last night. He's struggling with a seven-year-old. And I was a varsity baseball coach for 10 years through ups and downs, different ideas. And the correlations for me are absolutely can carry over into the classroom, can carry over into leadership position as one, you have to be you. You have to be you. Mm -hmm. If I try to beat some other coach or teach principal other than my authentic self, it does not come across, right? I have to be authentic, one. Two, I have to put people over myself and my program and my plans. Meaning I can't just be in my classroom and say, oh, I taught this and then no one understands it. Or as a coach, if a kid throws a baseball and it's 10 feet high, you wouldn't wait for a week to correct it. You would say, what happened? How can we work on it? And I believe if you have this inquiry mindset as a principal, as a leader, that will help people solve their own problems. My goal from day one as a coach, it evolves as a leader. My goal as a coach was, you know, we will out hustle, out work and out care everybody. As a principal, my vision was we're going to motivate, inspire and empower students and staff to be their best. And as a district leader, my number one job is how can I remove blocks or how can I help build up my leaders to be their best? And that all started when I was a kid. I'm the oldest of three brothers. I wanted boys. I wanted to help them be their best. That is it. And if we can, as a teacher, coach, principal, not make it about us, make it about others, I believe they'll follow us. And, um, I, and that's the greatest thing for me is when, when these guys come back and see me, they never really talk about the wins and losses. They say, thank you for helping us hustle. I have a police officer that's in our local community that I didn't remember as a teacher. And she came up to me and she had a three or four police officers with her. 
And she said, the greatest thing you did is you taught me how to look in the eyes and shake hands. Every single day when I was a teacher, I would shake hands. If I felt I had a cold or they did, I would fist bump every single day. And so that was something that built that connection. And then to have a law enforcement officer in her, whatever age she is, come and say that and share that stuck with her. That's how I believe we do. And the last thing is, I'll add as, as that leader, as you said, the connection, I would never as a principal say, hey, where is everybody? Or why'd you come in late? We celebrate what we have. Great job being on our time. I love the way you committed to this. Go after. People know when they mess up. I don't need mm. to tell a baseball player you you missed the I don't need to tell a teacher you came in late. <laughs> Celebrate and elevate the people that are doing it the way that matches my vision. So that I really think is one in the same. And if you aren't doing that in all three areas, why would people follow you? They might be afraid of you, but that doesn't they might be compliant to you, but those things don't lead to lasting change and bringing out the best in people. Yeah. So you, you brought up an SCC word, uh, compliance, and that can get in the way. You know, I think of schools uh, being truly effective and certainly school leaders and get in the way of collaboration and those kind of things. But can you, can you riff on that? Like, what's the trap? Like, why are systems so pulled towards the compliance piece versus doing what we know would help them thrive? Right. And it's paralyzing our leaders. And this compliance piece never gets the learning that we want. And I, I give you the example, right? Is you, you have, I'm overseeing this local control accountability plan. It's all compliance, put our strategic direction. Great. Does it create change in me as a leader and create change in the students? No. What it does is it, it meets the criteria. What I'm seeing happen is compliance, Daniel, is easier to complete, to check off. Mm, all right. We did People it. aren't check marks, right? You can't say all of a sudden, oh, I'm the leader I want to be or I'm that. And so compliance gives us this sense that we're accomplishing something. It also creates this covering up of then we're not doing something we shouldn't be doing. And it gives us how many years, Daniel, have we looked at low math scores for certain high need students, right? Just by doing that compliance measurement isn't helping our leaders move our staff Sure, a leader leaves a staff meeting and they go, oh my gosh, we dropped six points. We moved this six points. What are you going to do, principal? And if you don't, and I worked at a school that was taken over by the state as an assistant principal, which is very good for my experience. Very different than the current community I'm in. 97% free and reduced lunch. Some of the best leaders I've ever seen. And they would get beat up because they would see improvement. But the compliance measures, guess what they said? You're failing. Yeah. And what due to the leaders and the people, they were making difference. I could see it in my eyes. I could hear it in the stories. Yet when the report came out, blank school drops again. And that compliance is there. The last piece I'd like to say on compliance is what's happening, I believe, is we take someone that's skilled and gifted in relationships like Demetrius, that is gifted in um, equity, at connecting people, at building trust, at motivating staff. Why would I take those incredible attributes and have that leader do that 20% of the time, and then 80% do compliance-based work, that's not maximizing his talent. And we have to change that. And, and as a district person, I need to help be part of that solution. And Demetrius will not be his best self if he's spending time. He can do it. Everyone in our roles, Daniel, can do the compliance piece. We're smart. We're responsible. We'll do it. But is that changing students and staff's lives? 
And we become addicted to compliance. It's this, it's this cover, it's a political thing or it's a whatever thing you want to say. But why I'll see it time and time again, best leaders cannot thrive because they have compliance in the way. So my job is trying to figure out how to remove some of those compliance blocks so we can go in and change lives. Got it. I've heard you mention a number of times already, uh, just you know, the short amount of time we're already into the podcast uh, about being that authentic leader, right. being aligned to your values, you know, and vision. And I, I know you were talking to me how when you, you know, basically the best version of yourself, right? That's when you could make that change. You contrasted the two teachers too at the beginning of our show and creating that safety and that kind of stuff. So I, I know environment impacts that a bit too. I'm just wondering with all your, your vast experience, do you have some practical things for the ruckus maker listening that he or she can do so that they are the best version of themselves, that they are aligned to who, you know, who they say they are, right? And what they care about. I love it. And hopefully every ruckus maker has read your book. And if you're not, if not a ruckus maker, you haven't do it. You have to read the mastermind book. And I just want to Point to something on page 31, which I love it. I'm going to add a word to it, Daniel. So I'm at If districts or schools would stop obsessing over test scores and attendance data and instead focus on relationships and leadership development, then I promise the student improvement, student performance will improve. Okay. In the mastermind, we don't come up with an agenda of what to accomplish. This is the best line. The members are our agenda. In the students, our agenda, we meet them where they are and serve them. Funny thing about that approach, the results follow. So Daniel didn't ask me to read that. That's not a a plug. That is page 31 of the book. And I'd like to give the practical tips off of that. Because when I read that, that struck with me is that first you have to know who you are, please. So if you're listening and you haven't written down what matters most to you as as a leader, please do. What matters most? And the, to talk about as a teacher, there were certain things that mattered most to me as a teacher. I didn't care if a kid chewed gum. I didn't care if a kid wore a hat. But if a kid had their head on their desk and the kid looked at the clock, that was not okay with me because I wanted engagement. All right. Yeah. So as a principal, I had to write down the same thing. What mattered to me? And for me, it was that teachers were engaged with students. They were showing that support. They put the student before the content, whatever it is for you. Okay. Please write down what you stand for, because if you don't, you'll get lost in the compliance or the emergencies that we talk to. Then I do this every time, every leader, every one of one now, I I have them articulate what is their oxygen mask. And so I know in your ruckus making time and you're talking with others, you're sharing, you're collaborating, but what are you actually doing to put that mask on? And some of it you might not be comfortable sharing with your supervisor. You have to share it and write it down with some. Because if you are not healthy, Mr. Franklin was my first uh, assistant principal. I was a sixth grade core teacher teaching five classes in a, a, a really challenging environment. And on a Friday afternoon, I walked or I tried to walk out. I had a massive box in my hand walking out the door, papers and all the stuff I was doing on the weekend. And he stopped, he took it, he put it in his office and he said, John, you rest. You recharge, come back, you'll be a much better teacher. Fear our principals and leaders are not doing that. So the first is, what do you stand for? Actually write it down. What is your North Star? Please write down what are you doing to take care of yourself? And I need an accountability partner. 
Maybe you don't. I have an accountability partner that I speak with every Wednesday at 5.30. And that accountability partner is critical. And then practical tips right now is, are you spending time with the people that are most connected to your vision? So I don't think many of us woke up to uh, do a report or most of us dreamt of leading students. And now as a leader, we're doing that and staff. So my question to you is to chart or to look or to how often, how many minutes a day are you with the people that mean the most to you? How often are you rubbing shoulders with students, connecting with staff? I believe that's the single most important thing to find who you really are and be an authentic leader is let people see you and you connect. Otherwise, you you forget why you got into this. And so I'm a big proponent, Daniel, of ongoing learning. But I'm more about uh, leadership development learning, meaning how can I be my best self? And I see so many of us are servant leaders that we forget to take care of ourselves. Then the people that need us won't have us because we're not available. And so for me, it's writing down what I stand for. Who are the most important people? What am I doing to take care of myself, put the oxygen mask, and then spending the time with the people that mean the most? And I know you love, I know you love everyone on campus, but you're there for students and staff. So are you with them most of the time and try to do your other work when those people are not on campus? Because that will build the trust. And with trust comes confidence in your vision. And then that trust and confidence will allow you to move the staff and students in a way that no plan can do. Yeah, that was powerful. So much wisdom in the last few minutes of our discussion here. I would even recommend for the ruckus maker listening, rewind. Listen to that masterclass on leadership again, and then continue the podcast. I really want you to do that. John, I'm, yeah, for sure. And I, and I mean it, you know, uh, just so many good things. And, and a lot of it is, I can see it aligned. I don't want to make it uh, about, you know, my work and stuff, but the motto of everything we do at BLBS is everybody wins when you get better, right? So that, that oxygen mass piece, the accountability piece, um, being clear on your values, who you are, what you stand for. Uh, these are things we talk about deeply on a weekly basis. And can you imagine just the exponential growth that you would experience as a leader if you had that kind of support? So um, let's pause here really quick for a message from our sponsors. When we return, John, I'd love to ask you about supporting students. And you have the privilege of seeing all these campuses doing a bunch of cool stuff and would love to hear, you know, what are some of those interesting things you are seeing? In post-pandemic classrooms, student talk is crucial. And when classrooms come alive with conversation, teachers and students both thrive. TeachFX helps teachers make it happen. The TeachFX instructional coaching app provides insights into student talk, effective questions, and classroom conversation quality. TeachFX professional development complements the app and empowers teachers with best practices for generating meaningful student discourse. Teachers using TeachFX increase their student talk by an average of 40%. Imagine that, 40% more ownership over the class by students. Ruckus makers can pilot TeachFX with their teachers. Visit teachfx.com slash betterleaders to learn how.
That's teachfx.com forward slash better leaders. As students progress through their K-12 experience, schoolwork only gets harder and more complex. Yet at the same time, students are asked to be more independent in their learning. Young people struggling with executive functioning skills will fall further and further behind. The pandemic, let's be real, it's only made things worse. The remedy is found in equipping students with executive functioning skills. Our friends at Organized Binder have released a new self-paced course, and it teaches you how to teach these executive functioning skills and set up your students for success. Learn more at organizedbinder.com slash go and start setting up your students for success today. Again, that's over at organizedbinder.com slash go. All right, and we're back with John Campopiano and... Listen, this is an awesome, awesome conversation. And he's the ex- executive director over at San Ramon Valley Unified School District. Literally, this is a masterclass on leadership. So I hope you are enjoying the conversation as much as me. And I was talking about uh, supporting students before the break. And you have the, you know, the privilege, right, as executive director, visiting different schools and supporting leaders and students. And in the relationship piece, that's obviously important to you, right? That's a part of your leadership thesis of what makes an effective leader. And so I'm just curious, what, what are some interesting things you're seeing leaders do these days when it comes to connecting and supporting students? Thanks. I love the question, Daniel. I do have the great privilege of overseeing 17,000 students at 13 secondary schools, the credible leaders, uh, leaders that don't always have the title or the role, but incredible leaders. And the things that have been inspiring most uh, me yesterday is how one of our high schools is using student experience to move forward the equity work. We had a racial incident at one of our high schools that was horrific. And there was, and the thing I hear most, Daniel, is when adults don't know how to respond, that makes the situation even worse right? They expect us as adults to be able to connect with the victims to move forward. What I saw yesterday was one of the best things I've ever seen. I visited a site. There was ethnic studies club made up of 25 students that was working with three teacher leaders, two administrators to develop lesson plans on microaggressions. And so they were collaborating together. And today they're rolling out this lesson plan. And what they did is they did a pre-model for any teacher that's uncomfortable teaching the lesson. They did a training them. They're delivering the lesson to every single student on a campus of 2,500 students. Students are in with the educator, helping facilitate the work, sharing their student voice, their experiences, how they're not represented in the literature, how they might not even understand that this is a microaggression against them. Then we're having feedback and journaling from students and staff afterwards, because just as the premise of your leadership, and I'm 100% in a better leader, will create better situations, the teacher lead proving Connecting, we'll move that. So that's one example where we're really using students to move the work. And I think our leaders that are comfortable listening to students, remember when we were teaching, sometimes it was scary to have a classroom discussion because you did not know where it was going to go. It was that easier. That was my maybe. favorite, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you realize it, you're like, holy crap, I can stand on my desk and let people right. go. And it's amazing. And that's what we're starting to see in our district. We The, the second piece I'm seeing that is really important is intentionally stopping the day. At one of our middle schools today, 
They have stopped the day for three hours of wellness. They have sessions on joy, meditation, and stress relief. Those are the sessions that every student will go through. And they ask students what you need help on, and then they put it together. But what they did in this highly uh, academic world we're in is they stopped and we prioritized self-care. So both of those examples were students helping us plan lessons that they needed help with. Two other pieces I'd like to share that I think our leaders are moving in an incredible direction is we believe, I believe every kid by name, by need. We must know every kid and what they need. Daniel, you and I need different things to motivate, inspire, empower us. And oftentimes we get so wrapped up in the content and the pace and all the things that you and I know is secondary to relationships that students are not achieving. So one of the things that our site is doing is critical is identifying every high needs student and then not just saying, oh, here's John, he has high needs. What are my needs? And then having a plan to approach it. We just can't hope that a student will improve. We need to have a plan for them to improve. So I see our leaders moving this intervention period. All four of our high schools from, have gone from zero or one day of intervention for students to two to four days where every student can be identified by name, by need, get the extra time, extra support in a guaranteed way. And I, we have leaders that deeply believe in it. They're not just playing the game. I have leaders that when a racial act happens on campus, it gets them to their core. They are trying to figure out how to help the victims, how to educate those that are possibly ignorant and move forward. So what I've really seen, Daniel, is that we have started to embrace student voice. And for everyone listening, students make everything better. Even though there are challenges, when I have a hostile parent group, if students are there, everything moves better. When we write LCAP or our strategic directions, if we don't ask the people that it matters most to, then we're just a bunch of adults in an ivory tower just deciding. So I think that's the biggest change I've seen with our leaders is they are leaning into students to not just rubber stamp something, say, we have no idea. There's been four swastikas on our walls. We can't figure out who did it. What are we going to do? And the students organized an International Day Holocaust Remembrance Day. The students did. And we brought in community members and our admins supported. That to me is what a leader should do is facilitated. I call it air traffic control, right? You see something, but if everyone thinks the leadership is with you, the site principal or the person with the role, the AP, then, then that's not growing it. I feel like that principal should connect with the interfaith group, should connect with the facilities department, should get the kids passes out of class. And it was a beautiful event. So those are three quick examples with the, work that I'm seeing happening, that microaggressions, the celebration, the wellness day, and really leaning into students. And my last piece, sorry for the long answer, is that mm -mm, these are if good. we do not have a mindset that everybody can learn, then we're not going to be able to intervene the way we need to. Public education to me is the single greatest, um, single greatest thing to increase equity, to provide hope, and we can't just say we can't get up. Who else is going to get up? This is the last stop on the block. It's our job. So we have to create space and places for all students to learn. Yeah. You know, I have friends that keep pushing me because they, they say leadership's leadership. And I, and I agree with that. And they're like, you need to teach us in corporations and go to the business sector and all that. You, you, you know, make so much more money and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but, 
you know, to what you're talking about, education is the bedrock. It's the foundation of society, right? And so I'm super comfortable and satisfied, right? Serving in this area. You know, some of the big ideas I think you're talking about sort of slowing down to go fast, you know, to have these uh, social, emotional, uh, and wellness opportunities for students. Um, to me, it's like, well, I talk about this and I've shared this on the podcast before, but the way I wrote that book, Mastermind, the first draft was terrible, right? Like every first draft is. And I had to walk away from writing and start spending more time in nature, taking walks with my puppy and let my mind wander and process like the the challenge of putting together the book in a way uh, that would land for people. And I finally figured that out by actually stopping writing. So it's not more hours. It's not like, you know, yeah, just working harder. You know, sometimes well, you need those breaks to, to, to get the result you want. Yeah, that's why I connect so much with your work. And yeah. A, I like that you are an educator speaking in the education world. You're not taking a story from, you know, a Fortune 500 company. You could lead sure. anywhere. A leader can lead anywhere. A yeah. leader can yeah. take those skills and lead any sector and those opportunities. But I think you hit the nail on the head. You had a way to put your oxygen mask on. It's why is it so hard? And this is my question for the next ruckus meeting. Why is it so hard for site leaders to do that? To prioritize yourself and put on the oxygen mask. Daniel, if we don't do that and, and force that, just like this wellness day at this school, parents and students might not universally want it because they think they're missing a math instruction or what have you. But those three plus hours are going to be profound in future learning. What I'm seeing, and it's a, it's a, it's a crisis not to be dramatic. Our site leaders do not feel they have the space to do what you just did. It's like there's a guilt. It's like there's an ongoing pressure. And if we don't do that and figure out a way to create space for them to do that, they're not going to have the sustainability or the success that's inside of them. Right. So I'm looking forward to partnering to figure out how we can do that because they just feel they have so many obligations. You got 3,000 students, you got a thousand mm-hmm. students, whatever it is. And if they don't take care of themselves, they're not at their best. No, there's no way. There's no way. There's a, there's a guy, uh, named Dr. Michael Gervais. He works with Olympians. He works with the Seattle Seahawks, you know, top performers and athletics too, right? Athletes. Uh, but he says at the world stage, right? Where, where people are performing at the highest level. Uh, everybody's working hard. So they don't talk about working hard or the hours they're putting in. They, he says that the interesting thing to discuss is recovery because that's what helps you perform at your best, right? And that's what, so that's what Olympians and, you know, professional athletes talk about. Maybe it's time that principals start thinking about that too. Yeah, let's take that. I know we have to go to the next thing. Let's take that with our principals, our leaders. Yeah. That's it. No, I don't know one in my five years in my role, that hasn't worked hard. Yeah, exactly. Not a one. <laughs> Not a one. They yeah. work harder. I mean, this is one thing I say when you talk about Demetrius and being grounded. I have no sense that I do work any harder than any leader. These site leaders work harder than me, have yeah. more pressure on them. But we never talk about recovery. So I need to do that. There's no doubt they work hard. But what are we doing to recovery? It's almost like we can't give our permission, self-permission Maybe a book title, Permission to Recover. I'll, oh, I'll think, there we go. I'll, I'll think about it. Uh, you could do the foreword if I do that yeah. book. <laughs> Thank you. I need to write that down so I don't forget. And the promise. Yeah, write it down now. That's, that's it. I'm telling you, educators don't, we don't do that naturally. We have to, 
we have to be given permission to recover. And it's similar to what our leader did over at the middle school today. And uh, shout out to Miss Ingram. And, you know, it's her last year and she's still learning. And she realized she has probably the highest scoring middle school second. And she realizes I need to focus on wellness. You know, so she's been learning and this is so good for the kids. Yeah, so good. Okay, and I didn't want to lose the thread. So some of the other stuff you're talking about before that wellness too is like letting students lead, empower them, you know, and they're teaching these classes and teaching teachers, you know, about microaggressions and stuff like that. And it reminded me of the line you you quoted from the book, but, you know, members are our agenda on the BLBS side with the leaders we support, but in schools, right? Students are the agenda and give up some control, allow them to co-create with you. You're going to see things that you never thought was possible. And uh, we're seeing it on those those campuses as you've uh, been talking about. So, John, I want to move us to the last three questions uh, I ask all our guests. And thanks for being so wonderful. So the first one is, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be? A single day message around the world? Oh, man, you are enough. And... You know, I don't know if I can, I'm trying to think of how with the teachers and the leaders and the students, be you. I know that might be Nike, right? I can't do that. Or just do it as Nike. You can do whatever you want. (laughs) The core of that is you are enough. I see so many people scratching and clawing to get, and this is in San Ramon where we are. People all want to be certain grades and certain stuff. You are enough. And John, if you were building your dream school, uh, you had no constraints in terms of resources. Your only limitation was your ability to imagine. Mm. Building your dream school, what would be your three guiding principles? I love it. Well, you already know my vision. Okay. Yeah. And so for the first one is that we would have a laboratory to co-create curriculum. So we would have like an e-design design school like Stanford University. That would be at our, our, at our core of it. Second, we would have a social emotional curriculum that's embedded for all students, all staff that includes what we've spoken about, wellness, mindfulness, yoga, self-care, eating, exercise. We will see results go through the roof. And, and the third part would be to, um, celebrate and elevate people's strengths. So what I mean by that is I would allow people to teach and lead in ways that might not be traditional. And you would see incredible growth in lesson plans. So having that ability to co-create the lessons in a design type studio where just like you said with your first book, the draft wasn't the greatest. We design a complete focus on the social emotional at the center, which will create the equitable outcomes that we need in the student learning. And the third is we're going to elevate people's strengths, art. We're going to be relentlessly optimistic and focused on elevating people's strengths. And I believe that's how you improve their areas of growth. You covered a lot of ground in today's conversation, John. So of everything we talked about, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Put yourself first. Take care of yourself. The second piece on there is you're there, just like you said, Daniel. You're there, the agenda. The members are the agenda. I absolutely love that. As in leader on campus, who, who's the agenda? The students and staff. So take care of yourself so that you can be there for those members, the students and staff that need you. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. How would you like to lead with confidence, swap exhaustion for energy, turn your critics into cheerleaders, 
and so much more. The Ruckus Maker Mastermind is a world-class leadership program designed for growth-minded school leaders just like you. Go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind. Learn more about our program and fill out the application. We'll be in touch within 48 hours to talk how we can help you be even more effective. And by the way, we have cohorts that are diverse and mixed up. We also have cohorts just for women in leadership and a BIPOC-only cohort as well. When you're ready to level up, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind and fill out the application. Thanks again for listening to the show. Bye for now and go make a ruckus. Go make a ruckus.